Welcome into another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Wong, Josh Goldberg with you as usual. And of course, you can get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 34 at Goldberg 12 And when we last left you all, of course, the uh, Blue Jays were uh, playing pretty good baseball. And uh, since then, it has continued as they took a double header against the Orioles. They did have a winnable game on Tuesday night. And uh, we are recording this prior to the series finale against the Orioles. But I think, Josh, p- people feeling a lot better about the way the Blue Jays are playing right now. Things are uh, starting to click. And, of uh, course, one guy is right at the top of the list, Bo Bichette, carrying the offense right now. We will get to him. But I uh, got to start with just this whole series against the Orioles. It has felt you know, very similar to some of the battles that they had uh, in the 15 and 16 seasons where um, you know there was a lot of animosity. And Jose Bautista was sort of right in front and center of all of that. Uh, but now you know, there's a new uh, public enemy seemingly uh, with the Blue Jays fans, and that's Brian Baker, where I kind of want to start. That was the big storyline coming out of the game on Tuesday. For people that don't remember, Brian Baker had a very small cup of coffee, an espresso, maybe if you want to put it that way. Uh, with the Blue Jays a season ago. Did not give up an earned run uh, in his very short stints, but the Blue Jays uh, sort of let him go uh, in a certain way. He was claimed off waivers by the Orioles, and uh, they have obviously turned him into a flamethrower who, you know, very similar, I guess, to a guy like Julian Merriweather. Throws really hard, but can get knocked around and get hit. Um, But uh, a lot of antics have uh, gone on this year when the Blue Jays have faced off against Brian Baker, and it all came to a head in uh, Tuesday's ball game. What do you make of the whole uh, Brian Baker situation that the Blue Jays have uh, on their hands right now. Definitely some clownish behavior, I would say, from Brian Baker. I understand, you know, you're passionate, you strike a guy out. It seems like, you know, there's this has been brewing for some time between Baker uh, and the Blue Jays. Like when they were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, Baltimore, there was some jawing and some some gesturing, etc. from Brian Baker. I'm okay with passion, you know, when it's called for trying to show up other guys in weird situations. I don't, I don't really, you know, understand that. And like, I I loved seeing the dugouts, uh, the benches clear the way that they did. I'm all for that. You know, this rivalry is good. I I want it back. It was great. A couple of years ago, it was weird to see Rugnet Odor kind of diffusing the situation because we know, obviously he's public enemy. Number one, basically for the blue Jays fan base, based on what happened with the punch in the face all those years ago. But yeah, it was, it was, Definitely. That was a wild game. One of the wildest games of the year It was long. You know, a lot of different things happened. John Schneider turned a shade of red that I didn't know a face could turn (laughs) and got, it got rung. I believe maybe not for the first time, but uh, you know, it was the checked all the boxes aside from the fact that they didn't win the ball game, but you know, the Orioles are going to be good for a long time or, or certainly competitive at the very least for a long time. So this rivalry is going to be reignited because neither of these clubs, I don't think is going anywhere anytime soon. They're going to be teams to take seriously in the American league East and in the American league. And, you know, we're going to get to know, unfortunately, Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman, and I'm sure Jackson holiday down the road and uh, Grayson, uh, Grayson Rodriguez. There's lots of guys in the Orioles system who are good. It's not going to be fun playing the Orioles for some time to come. And I think, you know, the blue Jays probably a little bit got their backup at the fact that, you know, they, they haven't had a ton of success up until the double header against the Orioles this season. Emotions can sometimes uh, run hot and you can have a shorter trigger 
to uh, to get upset when you have struggles against a particular ball club. And maybe that played into it a little bit, but I doubt it's the last time we see tempers flare between these two clubs. I'll be interested to see what happens with Manoa. If there's any unintentional or an unintentional intentional hit by pitches, what, if anything, might come of that? Yeah, that's sort of the good and the bad about having Alec Manoa go in this game because he, of course, hits a lot of batters. And I don't know if he'll get a warning pregame. I mean, we even saw in the game on Tuesday night after Jimmy Garcia got warned and he's, you know, he's missing around the plate and, you know, pitches that weren't close to hitting any of the batters, but like out of the strike zone and the fans are starting to groan and, you know, make all this noise and being like, oh, like what is going on here? It's like, well, if you just watch any baseball game, I mean, guys miss their spot uh, all the time unintentionally. That's just, you know, how it goes. But, you know, Alec Manoa, uh, we saw the clip of him, you know, the shot of him at the end of the ball game where the Orioles are out there. doing the handshake line and he's out there just giving them the stare of death and being like okay all right i'll see you guys tomorrow and yeah it's gonna be uh quite an emotional ball game i I don't think anything's gonna get out of hand i mean you know alec manoa as fire as he is he understands the assignment you know he's not out here trying to send a message and plunk guys his message is gonna be i'm gonna beat you guys into the ground and we're gonna win this ball game that's the message that he wants to send he's not out here trying to you know, Brian Baker's not batting tonight, so he can't plunk Brian Baker. He's not going to be uh, doing that. But you're right. If the ball gets away a little bit, if he, you know, gets one high and inside on someone on a two-seamer, you know, is Jeff Nelson going to be running into the mound and, uh, you know, throwing a an umpire tirade, an ump show, and tossing him from the game? Like, it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility because uh, Jeff Nelson is uh, one of the more, uh, I don't even know what to call him. He's one of the worst umpires in baseball. Yeah. Uh, but clearly... Uh, someone that I think John Schneider, uh, someone reported yesterday in his tirade when he came out was like, it's not about you. And like, that's just the perfect thing to say to an umpire who uh, seemingly wants to take control of a game that, you know, it is not about you. It's about these two teams, the fans that, uh, you know, came to watch this game, two teams trying to make a playoff push. Yeah, it's not the Jeff Nelson show. Um, so we'll see uh, what happens in this series finale. But like I said, uh, the one guy front and center right now for this Blue Jays team and has been absolutely on fire for not only you know the month of September, but for the last couple of weeks now, uh, we saw flashes earlier this year. We wondered, you know, Bo Bichette, did he finally figure it out? Eh, it was not to be. There was some highs and plenty of lows, but right now it's pretty evident this is the best baseball um, that he has played this season. Is he going to continue to just annihilate uh, the ball and hit home runs every single game? Probably not, but uh, it just comes at the most perfect time, Josh. Uh, he couldn't have timed it any better where, you know, the games are crucial. Uh, they are a must win. And uh, here he is playing just the uh, absolute best baseball he has all season, at least at the plate. Uh, we did see a throwing error yes, we did. on uh, Tuesday night on a routine play. So those still crop up from time to time. But like I said, I'm not going to jump on him too much considering the way he is carrying the offense. Well, you think about in six games uh, in the month of September, and it's a small sample size. He's got five home runs, 14 knocked in, 10 runs scored. He's accumulated 1.2 war, according to Fangraphs, in six games. You know, his it, he's hitting almost 600. His slugging percentage is over 1,200. The at-bats are better, too. A lot of deeper counts. We've seen this, like you said, it's not just since the Pirate series. It's really a couple of weeks now. Like even over his last 15, 20 games, he's hitting over 400. It's just there aren't as many just immediate O2 counts where, uh, you know, he's just at the mercy of a pitcher and the zone is expanded and he's swinging out of his shoe tops and maybe he makes contact, maybe he doesn't. There's a lot more in control 
swings where, you know, sometimes he's forcing the pitcher to throw one over the middle of the plate and he's doing damage with it. We've seen him pull the hands in a couple of times against Pittsburgh. He had a big insurance home run. I think it was in the first game of that, uh, of that series. And then he pulled the hands in and hit another home run against the Orioles. He's had some struggles certainly this season, staying on top of fastballs. And it was nice to see him, you know, get the hands in and, and, drill a ball to left field. He also, you know, hit some home runs like he does to right field, right center field, center field. That's when he's at his best is he's just going line to line and has that extra base hit power. And there's just no really defending him because his contact skills uh, are so good. He's barely striking out in, in the month of uh, September. It's under 11% in 28 plate appearances. And yeah, he's not walking a ton. He's walking 3.6% of the time over that same span, but I don't really care. Like as long as you're not striking out, it, like his strikeouts have crept up this year when uh, he's been at his worst, it's been 25 or so percent. And that's not where you want it. You want it in the lower twenties and to have it, around 10 is just a sign of how locked in he is right now. And he's not going to hit 600 all month, but he, like we said, we've been waiting for this all year. We saw glimmers of it earlier in the season. He is more than capable of carrying the offense. Vladimir Guerrero jr. Has been dog shit since the start of the pirate series dog shit. I, I don't really know how else to put it. He's pounding everything on the ground. Frustration is sinking in. The at bats are bad. It's rough right now. I'm not saying it's going to continue, but the fact of the matter is you haven't really paid the price when your best hitter hasn't been at his nearly at his best because Bo Bichette's talent is so prodigious offensively that he can carry you. And that's exactly what's happened because outside of Bo over this stretch, Chapman swinging it nicely. Other guys have come in here or there, but Bo is just so overwhelmingly dominant right now that it hasn't really mattered that not that many other guys are really pulling their, their necessary amount of weight uh, in such a critical stretch of the season as we are here in September in a race for a playoff spot. Yeah, and it's not so much that the hits are just coming. They're coming at the absolute perfect time, you know, in that Pirate series that um, what was a three-run double, right, to yeah. clear the bases. I mean, if he hits just a double in any other inning where there's nobody on base, it doesn't matter, but he hits it in a perfect spot there. And then, of course, the three-run homer uh, in Baltimore. I mean, that three-homer game. I mean, they needed all three of those home runs. Uh, you know, they, it was big. So um, it just seems like every time he's coming up in a big spot right now, he is coming through for this team. And it has been uh, so massive. And I guess, you know, you look at both season now and the numbers align with what he did uh, the last couple of years, as far as, you know, WRC plus kind of crazy that he was sort of hovering around like 108 for like a while, like 108, 110. And then this recent crazy stretch has vaulted him all the way back up to 122 as we head into uh, this final game against Baltimore uh, on Wednesday night. So the the season long numbers are uh, looking right right in line where they have been. Uh, in years past and and go figure. But, you know, it it just felt like you said, it was always going to come eventually. Um, You didn't know when it was going to happen. And that sort of, you know, gives me the segue into Vlad where, you know, it is awful right now. And he has looked absolutely putrid and he's pounding everything into the ground. He still has some flashes here because he's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. where, you know, he can sting a ball to the outfield or, um, you know, even in Tuesday night's game where he flies out to deep center field. It's like 390 feet. I think the expected batting average on it was like 900. Yeah. So it's like, okay, he looks awful. And then he comes to the plate and he destroys a pitch in the bottom of the zone. And it's like, 
okay, why can't you do that every time? Like, you know, just hit the ball hard and whatever happens, happens. But that sort of gives me faith that as bad as Bo has looked all season long, he continued to work on it and he figured it out. And Vlad is just too talented to not have the same thing happen to him. Like, yeah, he very well could continue to be this bad until the end of the season. Like that is definitely on the table, mm-hmm. but it's also possible. He comes into the series finale tonight against the Orioles and, you know, smacks two homers and looks like the guy that we've seen um, for, you know, large stretches of this season. So, I think, you know, what I'm trying to say is like, I don't, it, while it is frustrating to watch, I don't get too bent out of shape about it with the guys that I think are uber talented. Like we'll get into the Whit Merrifields and, you know, guys like that where I'm like, okay, I'm sort of not too, uh, you know, optimistic that it's going to turn around. Uh, but at least with Vlad, it's like, okay, it only takes, you know, one game, one at bat for something to click and can really turn things around for him. Yeah, I'm not. It, it, we're no, we're not cherry. Uh, they're sugarcoating it. It's been really, really bad in the month of September. I know. Again, it's only six games. He is hitting a buck eleven with a buck eleven slugging percentage and a two hundred on base. He's got one RBI, stolen three bases somehow, minus eighteen WRC plus. His ground ball rate's actually under fifty percent somehow, which is mystifying because it still seems like he grounds out or or grounds into a double play. He's tied for the league lead. Last I checked, unless Brandon Rogers went ahead in double plays, which is not ideal. You know, the move to the two spot has early on it looked like it was going to come to fruition. Everyone who wanted it for so long and pay those dividends and. It just hasn't worked out the same way. I don't know if that's a factor. Like the way Lourdes was struggling in the three spot, now he's back down batting seven or eight and has had some better at bats. I don't know if that's it. I'm not going to say that with Vladdy. I think he can hit anywhere. But you know, Joe Siddle, who's great with those breakdowns, had some some great analysis on why it's been different this year and some stuff with his bat point, his elbow. You've got to check that out. And it's just led to him on pitches that he was destroying to left field last year he's grounding them this year and it just it's a fraction off and it just goes to show how finicky how fickle a a game baseball is especially offensively if you know certain things are just the slightest bit off kilter you can have these kinds of struggles uh, with that level of talent so I I don't, yeah, he's not going to produce like this all the rest of the season. And the fact that they've been able to have so much success in the month of uh, September, you know, they've lost only one game. They're five and one so far in the month of September. And he's playing the way that he's playing. He's even if he doesn't tear the cover off the ball, he's not going to be what statistically one of the worst hitters in the league, which you could argue has been the case over these six games. That's not going to continue. And, you know, if he can just be what he's been all season, a 30 to 40% better than league average hitter, then that's going to go a long way, especially if Bo can continue producing. Pitching's been mostly very good. I'm sure we'll get to sexy Mitch White in a bit. If the pitching can continue somewhere near that level and you can get some better power production from Blatty Springer um, as well, you know, Tay Oscar has been inconsistent. If he can go on one of those runs, then I, I just, I look at it right now. It would take a monstrous, monumental collapse for the Blue Jays to miss some playoffs. Like that's really where I'm at with it. Yeah, I think it would be pretty difficult to, you know, see that happening. I know the schedule is going to get 
a little bit more uh, difficult for them after the uh, Texas Rangers series. There's obviously games against the Rays coming up. You got the Yankees coming up. Um, you've got more Baltimore Orioles games. I think uh, you know there's games against the Phillies who aren't exactly you know the worst team in Major League Baseball. So um, it's not going to be as smooth sailing as it is, say, for the Mariners who just have like a baby shit soft schedule the rest of the yeah. way with all the trash teams in the AL West. Like. Yeah. If they don't make the playoffs, I think that is more of a surprise than the Blue Jays missing the playoffs just based on their strength of schedule um, the rest of the season. But yeah, with regards to Vlad, I mean, I think, you know, the ground ball stuff, this is something that, you know, they're going to figure out in the offseason. And by, you know, figuring it out, like I've said before, it doesn't have to be, you know, him dropping down to 40% or, you know, below 40% where we see some of the big hitters in Major League Baseball are at. Just can't be 50%. Like, it can't go back to where it was a couple of years ago where where, you know, he was just pounding everything into the ground. Like last year went up to 9.7, I think it was on, on the launch angle, 9.4 degrees. So they did figure uh, something out. Now, obviously he got into better shape and that helped a lot. And, you know, I don't know how much that is um, the case this year where, you know, he looks in similar shape, but is he nursing something with the lower body? Is it kind of, you know, wearing on him the long season? We know he was, you know, dealing with the wrist injury. Um, he has mentioned before that it's something he's going to be dealing with for a long time, but you know, it is odd that, you know, his launch angle gets cut directly in half um, after, you know, the improvements that he made a season ago. So he obviously is searching for it. The Blue Jays are still working with him on it and trying to search for answers as well. Um, so we'll just have to see how things uh, play out. But uh, I have faith that Vladdy is uh, going to figure things out sooner rather than later. So you talked about uh, sexy Mitch White, who, uh, while uh, as a person is still sexy, maybe not so much on the mound these days. It's been now three consecutive starts that have been absolutely horrendous for Mitch White. And, um, you know, interesting to see, uh, was it you that pointed it out? Someone else on Twitter, um, you know, talked about the fact that his first three starts as a Blue Jay or first couple of starts as a Blue Jay. Yes, three starts, Minnesota, Cleveland and the Yankees pretty good teams and he pitched you know pretty well in those starts and now these last three games the angels the cubs and the orioles i mean the cubs and the angels specifically pretty terrible teams that angels game the blue jays for whatever reason slept walk through it um they were just not present for that one and played horrendous defense behind them but the cubs suck and you know the orioles while they are you know a solid team i wouldn't call them uh, amazing by any means like mitch white should be able to handle them um but here he is now gone down to to triple a the blue jays don't need uh, another fifth starter until the double header next tuesday against the tampa bay rays but uh it's been a tale of uh uh, you know, three starts here, three starts there for sexy Mitch White. Is he still sexy in your eyes or uh, is he has the bloom come off the rose for Mitch White? Well, the bloom has definitely fallen off the rose in terms of his pitching prowess. I, I still do think over the longer term, there can be something um, with Mitch White. Uh, you know, he I, I just don't really know what to make of it because his his fastball is not very good. It, it has flashes, but overall, it's so hittable. And, you know, I don't know what happened last night. He just melted down there in that third inning. Like you walk Odor and Mateo back to back. That's as egregious of a sin as any pitcher can commit. It was just so bad. I don't know what he was doing. It's just like, you know, attack those guys, challenge them. You know, they're, if they beat you, tip your cap. But odds are, if you throw your pitches with some conviction, 
they're not going to be able to do much with them because they stink. They're bad. They have bad on, on base percentages. They have bad averages. Yeah. They're, they can occasionally run into one, but that's about it. And he walked both of them. And then you just knew as soon as that happened, well, this thing is just going to fucking slide off like the Titanic. This thing's over. And he gives up five and he just hasn't given them a chance, you know, in six starts, he's got an ERA as a blue Jay of eight, one, seven. And I know there's been some, well, look at his FIP. His FIP is 3.82. So, you know, like I like FIP as much as the next guy, there has to be something there. Like he he's given up some hard contact. It's not all a case of just duck snorts finding holes. He's gotten hit pretty hard. Maybe his ERA is about as bad as it can be, but I don't look at him as right now as a pitcher who should be pitching to a close to four ERA. I, he doesn't give you much in the way of length, right? He's taxing out your bullpen every time sending him down. was not, a remotely controversial thing. I thought maybe they'd move him to the bullpen, but you already have dead weight and Kikuchi out of the bullpen. You can't really afford another one of those guys. And, you know, Zach pop at least can fill a role out of the bullpen taking, taking a spot, but you know, it begs the question, what are you doing over the rest of the season? You know, you've got a decent number of games. There's some off days. Maybe you can figure it out that way, but you got double headers. If you need a fifth starter, what, what are you doing? Is it Kikuchi? I don't like, are you bullpen doing it and just taxing your bullpen once uh, every fifth game? I don't really know what you do. You're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, it's definitely a tough question. I don't think you're going back to the Kikuchi answer. Um, I think they, you know, sort of have him in his spot now. They want him to run with it. I don't think they want to be like, okay, now you're back in the rotation. You know, let's see where things go here. Um, You know, with Mitch White, I think you're kind of spot on there with his arsenal. Um, He just doesn't have a big put away pitch. Like he's got a great slider, but you know, it, when hitters lay off of that, I mean, he doesn't really have any other weapons to uh, attack teams uh, right now. I think, you know, the Blue Jays have, uh, they mentioned on the TV broadcast, the Blue Jays are working with him on wanting him to use the changeup a little bit more. So, you know, they're obviously, you know, talking a lot about Ross Stripling, I imagine, to him and trying to uh, mirror that. But uh, yeah, it's tough because like we said, the guy pitched really well in his first three outings and the last three have been uh, absolutely terrible. So is he the guy that we saw in the first three starts or is he more the guy that we saw in in the last three starts? It's so uh, difficult to say, but it kind of just goes back to the trade deadline where a lot of people said you got to go out and get more arms to get you through to the end of the season. And, you know, they did their move with the Marlins and got Anthony Bass and Zach Pop. Fine. I mean, I was cool with it at the time, still am. Um, but they did not do enough for the rotation. Uh, they thought maybe, you know, Kikuchi's going to figure it out. He didn't. Nope. Uh, Mitch White came in and pitched well for the first three games, but I think he also kind of had to have a parachute in the case that he all of a sudden didn't work out or would fall off, and now they're in that situation where they're trying to figure out, okay, well, what do we do now? Like, we don't, we don't want to go to Casey Lawrence and have nope. him start every, you know, fifth day. Um, I think you might have to just throw Mitch White out there uh, because he has shown in those first three games that he can get major league hitters out. You know, maybe it's just a few adjustments here. Uh, you're not asking for the world from him because, you know, he's a maximum, you know, five inning guy two times through the order. Very similar to Ross Stripling in that fact. But, you know, if you're not going to Kikuchi, who else are you going to? So I think you kind of have to go with Mitch White, kind of bite the bullet. And if it ends up being a game where, 
yesterday, you know, he can't make it out of the third inning. Well, you know, unfortunately that's the bed that you've made. Um, but other than that, like, I don't know where you go. You're not doing bullpen games again, like you did against the pirates down the stretch here. Like that's just asking for trouble. Um, if you get into a series where, you know, you need some big wins here, it's uh, not exactly the ideal situation. So I think you're sort of just, you know, spray and pray with uh, Mitch White when he comes back up. Yeah, I, I that's a that's a tough. I I guess like you know you're right. Like you can't start Casey Lawrence. It's just are you serious about making the playoffs or not? Starting Casey Lawrence in September games that doesn't strike me as serious. And you know I think we all thought some to varying degrees. We both I think agreed that more probably should have been done to augment the rotation and they didn't do enough. And they were hoping like hell that Mitch white would pan out and it obviously hasn't um, come to fruition, but you know, the Max Castillo situation, he's only made two starts with the Royals since the deal. He's given up three runs in nine and two thirds innings. He's been pretty good. Uh, you know, not bad strikeout numbers. He'd be a fine option right now. And that sort of begs the question of the Whit Merrifield trade and, I thought Whit Merrifield, you know, he'd been good before the, the the deal, but you traded your best available depth in the rotation and thinking that Mitch White would replace in some ways um, Castillo. And then, like you said, Kikuchi, you bet on, on Kikuchi and White, and that didn't look like a great bet at the time. Not the worst bet because White had had some success with the Dodgers, but life in the NL West. Not life against the American League East or just American League teams in general sometimes, and it hasn't worked out. Now you're up Shit's Creek, honestly. There's no options. You don't really have anything. Some people have tweeted me, what about Nate Pearson? Nate Pearson is not starting a major league game this year. Who knows when Nate Pearson's going to start another major league game? If, and I under underline and bold if he can return this year, it's going to be in a short stint situation and maybe it evolves into leverage, but I don't know how you can bet on that. There's just not much here. Maybe it does end up being white, but you know, the, the Castillo departure and the lack of depth here is to me an indictment still on the front office is just inability year after year to have that level just of confident upper level minor league depth that when you're in a pinch you can go to and it's not fucking you know a journeyman who you're just hoping doesn't get his tits lit if you have to throw it to him and that's where they're at right now yeah it's uh not the best situation but uh luckily they've put themselves themselves in a spot where they have a little bit of a uh, you know, runway here where if uh, they have to start Mitch White every fifth day, then, you know, uh, it could be definitely worse, but uh, it's not the the best spot right now. Speaking of uh, Mitt Merrifield, uh, Whit Merrifield, uh, like you said, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of other names that people are calling him uh, right now that rhymes with wits. Uh, it has not been good. Like, no. there's just no other way to put it. And no. You know, I kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt to start because, you know, being traded for the first time, coming to a new situation, like, you know, it's going to take you a bit to get your feet wet and find your footing. And, you know, he started off pretty well. Like, uh, I think he, you know, had a bunch of hits like in his first couple of games. And I don't remember the last time he's hit a ball that's touched grass. Like he's, you know, stung a couple balls here. Actually, wait, now he didn't have an RBI single uh, in Pittsburgh. I do remember that one now where he smashed it through uh, O'Neill Cruz who uh, I don't know what he was doing at shortstop. Um, but, you know, aside from that, like the moments for Whit Merrifield have been very few and uh, far 
between. He just has not made the impact. I think the Blue Jays were hoping for, and obviously um, he was hoping for. It is an adjustment going from being an everyday player to being a bench player, um, obviously, like, and we're seeing that uh, right now. But I just thought, man, as a guy that's been around for a long time, like, you know, I would have figured he could have given them just a little bit more. Maybe he will. Maybe there's still time. Um, but right now, you got to go with your hot hands and Kevin Biggio, Santiago Espinal, those guys are giving you more right now. I know they keep working with Merrifield into the lineup to maybe spark him to find something. But like at some point, I think you just got to say, you know what, like it's just not working. Let's just go with the other guys who are providing something. Sorry, Whit Merrifield. Um, we'll figure it out in the offseason and uh, maybe you're back, maybe you're not. But we just got to go with the hot hands here. Yeah, I, I I was surprised, honestly, that they traded for him and then pretty quickly just buried him. And it was just, well, you're not performing and I'm okay with it because you're in a playoff race. Guy's not pulling his weight. Then just because he's been, um, you know, uh, a quality player in the past, a two-time all-star doesn't just guarantee him playing time. So I don't really have an issue with it. I, I just continue to be mystified by that trade. What were you looking for? You have Biggio, you have Espinal. I guess some people have said, oh, well, it was insurance against the Springer injury. But then George Springer was back in the lineup a couple of days later. Did it, do you really have that much uncertainty that he would be able to play at any point again this season center field? And you know why was Whit Merrifield your choice for George Springer insurance? And other people have said, well, he's got uh, some sort of option. I think it's like $7 million for next season. Maybe it's just, it's more with an eye towards 2023, but that doesn't really register for me also because like, again, you still have Biggio, you still have Espinal, you still have Springer. Where's Whit Merrifield playing in 2023? It's just... The logic to it never really made a ton of sense. I know he had been performing better offensively before the trade and had some good numbers. I, I had, has he hit a ball really hard outside of he had that one home run that doinked off the fence at Yankee Stadium? He has not stung the ball with a ton of authority, and that's not really his calling card. He's a he's a slap hitter, I think who can wreak havoc with his legs. He hasn't really had an opportunity to do that. He's not a bad defender. He did take a perplexingly shit route to a ball when he was playing center field. I think it was in Baltimore, one of the games. And it was just like, well, if you can't do that, it's just like nothing's going right right now uh, at the moment for Whit Merrifield. And yeah, I think uh, as far as this season is concerned, it's square peg in a round hole. Gavin Biggio's lighting it up against right-handers. Espinal has great splits against lefties. Merrifield's a defensive replacement pinch runner. I don't want him at this point. I, I was prepared to give him an opportunity. Like he hit that single. I was like, yeah, you know, give him, give him um, uh, an opportunity, see what happens. But he's had some since and it's been bad and Biggio has been good. So that to me sort of ends it. And I don't know, is Whit Merrifield going to be on the roster come opening day, 2023 His contract situation would, would tell you yes, but I don't think it's some slam dunk that he's on this roster next season. No, definitely not. I mean, he is, if he's willing to take a part-time role, I mean, he is depth and I think he, you know, is probably better depth than some other guys. Um, but yeah, it's just a situation where the Blue Jays, 
you know, made a bet here on a guy to get some insurance and uh, he just hasn't worked out plain and simple uh, through uh, the first, you know, month here as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. So, uh, you know, the bullpen of course has been uh, much better since the acquisitions of Anthony Bass, uh, Zach pop down back up with, to the, with the Blue Jays with uh, uh, Mitch White going down and, you know, Bass, I don't think we have to talk too much about it. The guy's been lights out. He's been phenomenal. Um, I liked it when they made the trade still like it, of course. Um, And we know which guys are locked into big spots. It's Jordan Romano. It's uh, Anthony Bass. It's Jimmy Garcia. And then everybody else is kind of fighting for um, that next spot. Uh, Julie Merriweather, obviously back with the team, gave up his uh, customary home run on a 97-mile-an-hour fastball down the middle of the plate and also struck out a bunch of guys in his uh, couple of relief outings so far since returning to the team. Uh, But there's two guys that I want to touch on. I want to get your thoughts. You know, Tim Meza, you and I have always been big fans of his. Last year, uh, we were like, you know, one of the few people, I think, to really get on board with Tim Meza mm-hmm. early. Um, and he obviously came through in the end. This year, it's been up and down. Uh, the last, you know, few weeks here, he's had some moments, of course, where he's looked like to the 2021 version of Tim Meza. But then he also gave up a home run to Anthony Santander, an absolute bomb at Camden Yards. And then Trevor Richards. I know you tweeted out the stats for Trevor Richards for the last little while here, and he's been lights out. But then he comes into a one-run ball game where the Blue Jays are trailing, and he ends up getting knocked around and walks a bunch of guys and just looks like absolute garbage. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you know, the three guys we know the Blue Jays have locked in, I touched on. But what do you make of these two guys? Tim Meza, Trevor Richards, the bullpen circle of trust that everybody loves talking about. Are they in? Are they out? Are they never going to make it back in? Where, where do you land on them? Mesa is such a confounding one. He's been really good of late against lefties. I feel like more so I want him against lefties, but you know, the three out minimum kind of can, can confuses a little bit and, and models the, the, the situation. Some, like I thought that it was interesting that he was brought back out to see Santander. Like I understand that there was Mullins and and um, Rutschman isn't as good against uh, righties, uh, batting right-handed against lefties. But Santander is m- a much better hitter from the right side of the plate. And, you know, you throw too many cookies his way, he's going to pound one. And that's exactly what happened. I'm okay with Meza if the matchups dictate it. He's not on the level of, you've got three relievers that you really, really trust in Bass, Garcia, and Romano. And that's that's great. And, and like we talked about last week, maybe that can be good enough in the playoffs, just going to it over and over again, as much as you can, as long as you're uh, playing, but yeah, Mesa is a matchup dependent situation. Got to be mostly lefties. Richards, the numbers have been good. I don't remember if I included leverage. I, I, they were mostly low leverage. He had one in a situation where I think against the Cubs, it was a one run game. They were leading or two run game and he did a good job, but by and large, it's been mostly medium to low leverage and he's done a better job, but we saw last night, Tuesday night against the Orioles, his command is still spotty. Even when he's locked in, locked in, I'm putting it in air quotes. He's still, there's still a lot of two, three ball counts where he gets a strikeout or he gets a soft fly ball or something like that. He's basically just been back to fastball changeup. He junked his curveball, which was junk. And I seemed like got his repertoire all out of whack. He's a fine guy to use in a pinch in leverage. I guess I still wouldn't love it. He would not be nowhere near my top choice by and large though. He's a guy that you're pitching in the fifth or sixth inning. If you need, uh, you know, three to five outs. And I think in the right situation, he can still do the job, but 
you know the downside is there, the command and the home runs haven't been problematic of late, but that's always creeping around the corner. If he hangs a change up and he walks two guys, then he cripples you with a three run homer. It, you know, I, the, the issues are still what they are. He's just mitigated them of late. And I think he has good enough stuff to be able to do that. But a bad run is always lurking around the corner with a pitcher like that. Yeah, and I guess the other guy that kind of fits into that grouping, and it's weird because David Phelps, like the numbers on the season are really strong. Yeah, um, He doesn't strike out as many guys as he used to, of course. And, uh, you know, the injury, uh, the lat injury obviously plays a little bit into that sticky stuff, uh, I imagine, um, does as well. Uh, but it just doesn't feel like the Blue Jays, not that they don't trust him in situations. We've seen him pitch in extra innings and they've brought him into some leverage spots. But he's sort of that one guy that's very similar to Richard's and Mesa, it's like, okay, if we got to use him in leverage spots, we will use him, but he's not like our first choice. Um, he's dynamite against right-handed, uh, right-handed hitters. As they look here, he strikes out 30% mm-hmm. of right-handed hitters. Lefties give him a much uh, tougher time. So he is a little bit matchup uh, dependent as well. But yeah, it's just, you know, we talk about it all the time. If one of these guys can emerge and we can throw Merriweather in there, you can throw Simber in there if you want, uh, you know, Nate Pearson, you know, there's some options here. But if just one of those guys can just step forward, it just makes John Schneider's job so much easier, not even in the playoffs, but just the rest of the way here where you've got now four guys instead of three guys and maybe a half of a guy. And then the rest of the ones you're just kind of like, oh, God, I hope we got him on the right day. Yeah, one of those guys emerging would obviously be welcomed. And in the playoffs, if you can play the matchups with Mays against lefties and, and Phelps against righties, maybe that can help solve some of the problems. But like I said, the elimination of the one out and, and the move to a three out minimum really does throw a fly in the ointment. You could have the makings of a good bullpen if you could just throw Mesa out there as you see fit for one batter in the playoffs if it's a lefty or or Phelps if it's the Yankees you know to in a in the fourth inning or something like that to go after Judge and Stanton but obviously that's out the window so it does complicate things a little bit you know Adam Simber I think can be but you know what you're getting with him. It's not really going to be easy in the playoffs. You want those low stress outs, those strikeouts quick as much as possible. And that's not his game. He's relying on soft contact balls, finding gloves, double plays, balls on the ground, that sort of thing. And I am always squeamish with that type of pitcher in the playoffs. And I've said this really since the deadline, I still do think they have improved their swinging strike rate of late. It's been better. It's still not, something that I would call elite. It's not a strength of this bullpen. And that can be problematic in the playoffs. Your three guys, I think, can do a good enough job in in their roles with Bass and Garcia and Romano. But I just wonder still in certain situations, if you do make the playoffs, what you're going to have if you're called, if you just need more from certain guys in the bullpen, I just wonder how that's going to go. I still really do have my doubts. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm looking at uh, David Phelps' stats again, and uh, surprisingly, he's only given up one home run this yeah. season in 54 innings, which is pretty crazy considering you know Adam Simber, a guy who uh, historically has not given up a bunch of homers, has given up five this year. Um, the fly ball percentage, weirdly, is uh, way up on Adam Simber this year. But uh, yeah, the issue with David Phelps is that he walks a lot of guys. He can uh, lose his control. So that's uh, definitely what works against him. But uh, the option's definitely a lot better than they uh, were earlier this season when people had question marks about the pen. All right, let's get to uh, some Twitter 
comments. You can always get us at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong three, four at Jay Goldberg 12. And uh, you put out there this week, Josh, how confident are you that we're seeing the quote unquote real Jays? Ryan said 50% literally every single time we say that they collapse and lose three series in a row. We've been saying it all year, not to mention the amount of base runners they've stranded on their hot streak is ridiculous. They're still not there with runners in scoring position. So I didn't tweet about this yesterday because I was just kind of glancing at it. But, you know, I went to back to last year to see, you know, which teams were at the top of the leaderboard in uh, grounding into double plays with uh, men in scoring position or men on base. And it would surprise you. There's some really good teams at the top of that list that grounded into a lot of double plays with runners in scoring position or runners on base. And as I look at it now, you know, men on base last year, 2021 season, the teams that uh, grounded into double plays the most, the Nationals, okay? Uh, but the Yankees, the White Sox, and the Astros were 2-3-4 and four last year, which is pretty surprising, I would say, I think, for a lot of people. And then when you shifted over to, you know, men in scoring position, Grounded into double plays. Yankees led the way with uh, 59, and they had uh, 1381 plate appearances. So they obviously had a bunch of opportunities. The Blue Jays were 11th at 1520 plate appearances. You've got the Astros, you've got the White Sox also in the top 10. Now, obviously, you can only ground into double plays with men in scoring position when you get men in scoring position, uh, unlike teams that stink and can't get anyone on base. Um, But I think, you know, when you look at those numbers, it's sort of jarring that just because you ground into a lot of double plays, you know, with men in base and men in scoring position doesn't necessarily mean uh, you're a bad team. This year, the Blue Jays are lumped in with some pretty terrible teams uh, in that category. But I think it's more honestly just, bad luck and just like a weird um, anomaly for this Blue Jays team uh, that this year anyways, they're just hitting into a lot of double plays with men on base. I do think that there is certainly an element to that. There's no question there has to be when you're a talented offensive team, but like, I don't know if it's an approach thing or what you want to call it. I I don't know how much stock I put into just, oh, well, you know, if you change your approach, it's hard to do that. Um, uh, on the fly, it can, maybe you need a different uh, set of eyes, but you look at well, the Jays are seventh in ground ball percentage this year in major league baseball at 45%. And when you're in the top third of the league and hitting balls on the ground, odds are you're also going to struggle in those situations when you have men on base. And yeah, that has absolutely come to fruition. This is just a team that has to find a ball, to, a way to get the ball in the air more often. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. this year is kind of uh, an, a, just a, an underlining, just a theme of what has been a struggle for this club, hitting into ground ball situations, double plays in big spots, which has plagued this team far too many times. Like you think even uh, on Tuesday night, it was five, three first and third, nobody out to Oscar grants into a double play. Yeah. You got one and, but you know, you had a chance to really string some stuff together. You had a couple on to start and that's happened a lot of late where they just struggle to get a runner in from third with less than two outs. I think they're in the bottom third of the league in their success rate in those situations, which I don't really know what to make of it. There's just the bats. Do they get jumpy? Do they get, do they press too much? There's just bad at bats in those situations where all you're looking for is a ground ball to the right side of the infield uh, or just lofting one deep enough to get a runner in. And they just fail to do that more often than not. And that is going to be something that if you can't rectify it in the playoffs, you have 
your your opportunities to score are fewer and further between in the playoffs with you know pitching staffs tailored the right way bullpens deployed leverage relievers deployed willy-nilly if you have first and third with nobody out or one out you can't just piss away every opportunity or many of your opportunities most of your opportunities as the blue jays have done too often this year because you're just not going to get too many of them you have to make them count and you know, they, there's enough of a sample size here this season that really makes you wonder, doubt, if they're going to be able to do that. And it is definitely, as talented as they are, it continues to be one of the most frustrating, disappointing, confounding things uh, about their makeup as an offensive ball club. Yeah, just, uh, just not make a ton of sense. Um, you know, weirdly, they are... Um, like I said, near the top of the league in grounding into double plays with men in scoring position, they are 13th in uh, batting average at 259, which is uh, somehow uh, higher than the Yankees this year, um, according to fan graphs, unless I've got my charts all messed up here, but that's what I'm seeing uh, on my computer screen. So uh, Daniel says he is uh, not confident that we're seeing the real Jays. He says, I hope I'm wrong, but this is probably just another peak in a season of high peaks and low valleys, but that doesn't mean they won't be in a peak when the playoffs come. And uh, Terry adds, yes and no, it will continue to be up and down this month, but I think they have even things out a bit. We will know for sure after the five games against Tampa uh, next week. And it's just big series after big series after big series for the Blue Jays uh, at this point with the uh, Orioles, of course, right now, you've got the Rays coming up, more Orioles, you got some Yankees, more Rays. It's uh, just the AL East is an absolute juggernaut this year. And uh, lo and behold, the Blue Jays have to be a part of that to try to make the playoffs. Let's uh, wrap things up by chatting about our Teoscars for Player of the Week. We do have four nominees for this week, but I think I feel pretty confident about where we're both going right now. Uh, we've, of course, got Alejandro Kirk, who's had a nice strong week. Jordan Romano continues to pitch well. That amazing save in uh, Pittsburgh against the Pirates, where he had runners at second and third with nobody out. Jimmy Garcia has been pitching really well, but I think uh, the man of the week, it's pretty clear Josh uh, Bo Bichette with what he has done over uh, the the last seven days. Yeah, one of the best weeks that any Blue Jay has had this year. Just sensational, electric. Every adjective you want to throw at it, it has been that and more. His he's just been so good. And uh, you know, you have like we said, you have to hope that some level of it can carry on uh, the rest of the way because if he can continue doing that, it's going to go certainly a long way to helping this club make the playoffs. And it's nice to see. You know, you'd like to see defensively still. There are some just bizarre moments. The routine plays, throws to first. He just seems like most of his 17 or whatever errors this year have been just routine throws to first. But that's, you know, it it just goes to show what a, he's a confounding player because he can be so insanely good uh, in the in with the bat and then just make those blunders defensively. But, you know, it's just I, I am all I've always been one to take the good with the bad, because to me, the good just outweighs the bad with him by a lot. And this year, it hasn't been as much the case. He struggled. You know, his numbers have been closer to league average than they have been in the first couple uh, of seasons of his career. But he's just got so much talent offensively that you're always waiting for it to, to erupt like a volcano. And it has 
uh, right now. And, you know, whatever happens defensively the rest of the way, I'll bet that his offensive talent is going to be enough to win out and win the battle between good and bad when it comes to his offense and his defense. Yeah. It's just good to know the bad stuff is still in there uh, because there was a lot of question marks earlier this season. You know, is he a guy that this is what he is now that he can't, you know, catch up to a big fastball that he can't, you know, have more plate discipline. And he has seemingly figured something out here. He's not striking out as much. I think, you know, the discipline has gotten a lot better, but there's still occasionally times where, you know, he's swinging at the high fastball. Right now he's connecting on it, um, but he's not a perfect hitter by any means. I don't think he ever will be, but it's just uh, nice to know that uh, he still has that talent in there that he has shown uh, in recent seasons. All right, that'll do it for us on another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. As always, you can get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 34 and at J. Goldberg 12. When we chat with you next, the Blue Jays will, of course, wrap up this series against the Orioles. They'll take on the Rangers this weekend and then a massive five-game set against the Tampa Bay Rays uh, next week at Rogers Center. That'll do it for Josh. I'm Rob. We'll talk to you in a week's time.